0: If you have your Bibles, turn to Second Samuel chapter two, verses eight through 17. So listen now, this is God's word. Let me start with verse four. The men of Judah came and there they anointed David, king over the house of Judah. Verse eight. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Manah-haim. And he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, "'Let the young men arise and compete before us.' And Joab said, "'Let them arise.'" Then they arose and passed over by number twelve for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head, and thrust his sword into his opponent's side, so that they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called Helkath Hazarim, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants. Of David. This is God's Word. We're going to be talking about anger today. Okay, anger. This passage shows people in their anger. If you think about anger, anger is a window into your soul. Anger shows the things that really drive you in your heart, Um, and anger destroys the relationships that are most important to us. You know, we want this year as a church to grow in our gospel relationships, right? Our relationship with Christ, our relationship with each other in the church, our relationships with folks outside the church in the world. And we have a problem growing those relationships. Our problem is that we get angry. We get angry. Our anger comes on us, and it's like it attacks us sometimes. It begins to control us. And and the way that we get angry is different. Some people are very external with their anger, right? They yell, they scream, they fight. Other people are more passive, right? They're passive-aggressive, and uh, they detach from the situation. They sort of control by being detached. In this passage, we're going to see two people who don't know how to deal with their anger, okay? Two people who don't know how to deal with their anger, and then we're going to get a solution. So if you want to take notes, here are the points. First, you're going to meet Abner, who's mad at God. Okay? Second, you're going to meet Joab, who's mad at God's enemies. And then third, we need to remember David, because faith controls his anger. Okay, so Abner's mad at God, Joab is mad at God's enemies, and then we have to remember David, because faith controlled his anger. So first, let's meet Abner, Abner who is mad at God. We're going to see what he did, and then we're going to talk about why he did it and how God feels about it, okay? So in this passage, we see that Abner first rejects God and his chosen king. Okay, look at verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth the son of Saul, brought him over to Mahanaim, and made him king over all Israel. The key word in that verse is the first word, but. But there's a contrast there and that contrast sends us back to verse 4 where the men of Judah anointed David king. Okay so they anointed David as king to be the next king after Saul but Abner appointed Ishbosheth. Abner set up Ishbosheth and made him king over the rest of Israel. Okay there were there were 12 tribes all together that made up the nation of Israel. David was king of Judah and then Abner set up Ishbosheth over the rest of Israel. So that's the first thing that he does. Well, the second thing he does is that in his... So, I, I guess, well, let's talk first about why he does that. Like, why does he do this? What's he thinking? Well, you got to know a little bit about Abner. If you've read 1 Samuel, we meet Abner. Okay, we see who Abner is and, and what he does. Abner is the, the commander of Saul's army. So he's the chief officer of the army of the former king. And... When Saul dies, Abner, who had this wonderful job with a wonderful future, with all the praise and the accolades of the whole nation of Israel, suddenly realizes, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble, right? My guy is gone, and they set up someone else, right? You get this. I mean, you can understand. So Abner really sort of thinks fast and establishes for himself a puppet king that he can use to support all of his personal goals. Okay, that's how Abner responds. And you can see that in between the death of Saul and Abner doing this, there's frustration. right? Because Abner looks at what he stands to lose and doesn't like it. Okay, Abner realizes, wait a second, this is not good. Abner doesn't like it. Abner gets mad at his situation. And so he, instead of following God's appointed king, the king that God chose, you can read in 1 Samuel, Abner knows good and well that David is God's successor that David was chosen by God. Abner was there, if you remember. If you don't, let me just tell you the story. David snuck into the camp of Saul. God put this miraculous sleep over the entire camp of Saul so that David could sneak in, walk up to Saul laying down, sleeping, grab Saul's spear in his water jug, and leave. Do You remember that story? David standing off, and then he says, Hey, guys, look what I just did. You know, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Because I trust in the Lord. You know, and Saul confesses and says, wow, you are more righteous than I am. You are clearly God's chosen. Abner is standing right there when that happens. Abner knows that David is the chosen one, but Abner doesn't like God's plan. Abner doesn't like the fact that God chose David and didn't choose Ishbosheth. The reason we talk about this is because we go through the same thing, don't we? How many times do things happen in your life and you don't like what God has chosen to allow happen? How many times at work, how many times at home, how many times in relationships does something happen outside of your control and you don't like it? You don't like it. And I think in this way, Abner doesn't, I mean, we can relate to Abner, right? We get mad and so we say, well, no, I'm going to do this my own way. Yeah, well, we see what God does and we say, I don't want that way. I don't want God, I don't want to do it the way you want me to do it. I would much rather go this route. I would much rather it be easier. When our plans don't work out, when relationships don't work out, this is what causes us. We get mad. We get angry with our situation. Oftentimes we get mad at God. And that's what Abner is doing. Abner is mad at God. And so he says, God, I don't want to have your man reign over me. I'm going to choose my own way. And so what happens is that in the book of 2 Samuel, we see right in chapter 2 that there, is, there are two kingdoms in conflict. There is David's kingdom that was established by divine guidance versus Abner's kingdom that was established by human ambition. The question that you want to ask yourself is, which kingdom would you choose? Which kingdom are you choosing now in the decisions that you're making in your life? I mean, that is the question for us. So Abner rejects God and God's chosen king. And then Abner moves his anger with God, causes him to move in anger and aggression toward God's people. Okay? Because that's what he does. He takes his troops in verse 12. Abner, the son of Nur, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim Naim to Gibeon. They went to Gibeon. Can you believe it? They went to Gibeon. David's in Hebron. They went to Gibeon.: You don't understand the geography, do you? If you had read this when it was written, you would have been like, "Oh my goodness, he went to Gibeah! Are you kidding me? What was he thinking?" So let me paint a map for you. Okay, Israel is California. Okay, actually, kind of roughly shaped, similar size. So Abner is in Fresno. Okay, Mahanaim is Fresno, where Abner sets up Ishbosheth. And let's say Hebron is in San Diego. Okay, Hebron, San Diego. Abner is up in Fresno. Setting up Ishbosheth as a king for the rest of Israel, okay, not a good thing, right? He's rejecting God, but then he takes the troops, he takes his army, and he brings them to Oceanside, right? I mean, what would you think if you were here in San Diego, and somebody set up a, a you know an enemy king, a rival king, and then took the army and moved down to Oceanside? Right? That's what's going on here. So Abner is moving. We don't know quite what his intentions are yet. Okay? But what we see here is that Abner is moving close. This is a preemptive, it's like a preemptive move. The, ver, the word that's used in verse 12, that they went out, that was the word that was used for military excursions. This is a threat. And, and it's interesting because this is often what happens. I mean, if you pay attention, people who get mad at God end up also turning on the people of God. Okay? If there are people who are angry with you because you're a Christian, it may be that what's going on in their lives and in their hearts is that they're mad at God. Okay? It, it could be that you're a jerk. It's possible possible it could be that you're obnoxious that you haven't learned to to bless other people with your faith it could be that you're annoying Um, I'm saying these things because these are all things that I have been personally in my life um, and and I'm continuing God is working me out of working those things out of me Um, but it's possible that it's you but it's also possible that if people are angry with you as a Christian it could be because they're angry with God okay that's certainly what was going on in Abner's heart Okay, Abner was mad at God, didn't like God's plan, and was lashing out against God's people. Okay, now, again, that gets to us, doesn't it? I mean, that speaks to us if we're listening. I mean, we want to let Abner expose us, right? The more we can understand Abner, I think the more of Abner we find in our lives, Because we get frustrated with God, and then there's times when we get frustrated with people who seem to have an easier life than we do who are Christians, maybe, right? We get jealous. We get angry. We feel like, wow, why does God have me going through this and nobody else is going through this, right? And these things cause us sometimes to get mad. We can get angry with people in the church, Right? brothers and sisters in the family, and we're angry with them because really we're mad at, at God and what he's doing in our lives. And we want our lives to be easier, we want our lives to be simpler, we want our lives to be less complicated, we're frustrated. right? And so Abner's mad at God. and oh, I mean, we just got to be careful. Right? We got to be careful lest we rail on the Abners in the world. You know, let's first look and see if there's any Abner in us. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news. How does God feel about Abner? Okay? There's no word from the Lord about Abner in this passage. So I want to think, if you think about the way the Bible presents Jesus and how Jesus feels about people that are like Abner, here's my sense. My sense is that if you're like Abner at all, if you're not a Christian and you are refusing to follow Jesus, you've rejected God in your life, or if you are a Christian and... There's particular areas of your life where you just don't want Jesus to speak into that area. Either way, I think Jesus stands before you and says, Look, I understand. I understand why you're mad. You're suffering. You don't like the, you don't like the path that's before you. Um, I get the fact that you're angry because maybe you're losing control. Abner, I get it. You were commander of the army and now your king is gone and we've gone a different direction. Of course that's going to make you mad. But you need to realize that this anger that you have toward me, this anger that you have toward other people in the church, it's going to eat you alive. And I would invite you to be free from it. I would invite you to lay down your anger and just entrust and me. I think that's what God says to Abner's today. God says, look, I know, I, I really do understand how you feel. I know how frustrating life is. I lived an incredibly frustrating life of my own. I really do understand how it is. And I want to set you free because if you follow me, instead of being angry with me, we can actually work with the things that you don't like and make them things that you rejoice in. So if there's any Abner in you, Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me and let's work together. <clears throat> and I think that's really the answer. You've, you've got to grow your relationship with Jesus. I mean, that's the key. If you're mad at God, the answer is you need to grow your relationship with him. You have to spend time with him. It could be that at the beginning you pour out your heart and tell God how mad you are. There are psalms that you can read that will show you what real anger is. You haven't seen anger until you've read Psalm 88. There is no happy ending to Psalm 88. And so you want to seek God. You want to go deeper with him in his word, in prayer. You want to be honest with him. He can take it. He wants to hear it, and he wants you to draw near to him. Even if what you have to say is complaining and frustration, he will listen and he will say, okay, let's let's work on this together. When you do that, when you do that, you can walk in confidence and in faith. Your anger will begin to dissipate. Your anger, you'll see different perspectives. Things will happen in your life, and you will understand more and more of why things are the way they are and how your life circumstances can work out for incredible good. So, if you're mad at God, if you're like Abner and you're mad at God, the answer is to deepen your relationship with Him because it will give you understanding. Our second point um, we need to meet Joab. Joab is mad at God's enemies. Okay, as Abner sets up a false king in Fresno and then moves the troops to Oceanside, uh, there's a response. Verse 13, Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out to meet them at the pool of Gibeon. Joab, 1 Samuel tells us, is the commander of David's army. Okay, so you have Abner and Joab. These are the commanders of the respective king's armies. You know, and it's interesting because in, if this were a movie, it would be clear Joab would be riding on white horses. Okay? He'd be coming in you know, just in the nick of time to meet this. and you know, Abner and his men being black, Joab being white. Joab's the, the good guy. Abner's the bad guy. But then Abner shows up. And, and what does Abner do? It's interesting. Joab wants to fight. Okay? Joab comes, and Joab wants to fight. Abner doesn't. Okay, this is interesting. As you read this passage, Abner does not want to fight. Joab does. Look what Abner says in verse 14. Okay, they, they, they line up. They sat down, one on one side of the pool, one on the other side of the pool. It's kind of interesting. They sat down. Verse 14, Abner said to Joab, Let the young men arise and compete before us. Okay, this word compete, I mean, you don't, you don't need to know Hebrew to know that that's not let's go to war. Right. Compete sounds like let's have a contest. This is a gladiatorial dueling kind of event. You know, and this was not uh, supposed to be a bloody war. You know, this means like let's have a sport. Let's get our young men together, have a tournament. Okay, let's have a tournament. And so what Abner was proposing was not a battle to the death, but it was it was it was a tournament. Let's see which people are stronger. Okay, let's see whose who's team has the stronger has the stronger uh, has a stronger warriors. Now, to be sure, there was a serious intent here, okay, because the winner gets bragging rights, right? The winner deals a significant blow to the other side and, and, and can leave saying, "We are stronger. We're you know we're in control. God's with us." Okay, it's interesting because how many of each entered into this tournament? Twelve. Right? Twelve each. Verse 15, they arose and passed over by number. Twelve for Benjamin and ish the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. That's not insignificant. Okay, both sides brought twelve people to this tournament that was going to start. What are they saying? We think we are the new Israel. Saul is dead. Abner saying we are, arch folks, we are the new Israel. We have all twelve tribes covered. We don't need you, Judah. Joab is saying the exact same thing. No, 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 no. We are the new Israel. We are God's people. And this tournament's going to show that. And so, but watch this. This is interesting. I mean, it's funny. You slow down, you actually read the text and these neat things, you see them in the text. So Abner said, let the young men arise and compete before us. But what does Joab say? Joab says, let them arise. What doesn't Joab say? And compete before us, right? In a sense, Joab is saying, let them arise, but he doesn't repeat the compete phrase so that afterward Joab could say, oh, well, I never said that we were going to compete with you. I just said, let them arise. Joab is going into this knowing that he is going for blood. Joab is coming to attack Abner, to put them to death, to destroy this threat to God's kingdom. That's what Joab is there for. That is his intention. Joab wanted to fight. Now, I'm not saying Abner's a saint, okay? I'm not saying that Abner was completely, you know, should be exonerated in this. We've seen that Abner is already wrong and that he's rejecting David. He's moving an army within striking distance. But this is what's great about these narratives. You have real people here, okay? You have Joab and Abner, okay? One's on God's side, one's not on God's side. They're both messed up. They are both broken people. Abner is mad at God. Joab is mad at God's enemies. And so Joab is coming for blood. Joab wants to put this effort to death. He wants to kill uh, these folks. And it's interesting because in this, let me step back here for a second. So I guess I I want you to think about the Joabs in your life. Joab is the guy or the gal who is always ready to fight. And in the church, I don't think we're talking necessarily about fisticuffs, like always ready to start hitting people, but Joab is that person that is always ready to go to war, right? Wants to argue with you, wants to convince you, is probably obnoxious and annoying and frustrating, never ever wants to shut up, but always has to be right about everything. Joab today is the Christian that just doesn't know that doesn't know that you could be right and still be wrong in the way that you talk. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's Joab. It's, it's, it's a pugnacious, contentious person. In 1 Timothy 3, where it lists the qualities of an elder, it says these people need to not be quarrelsome, not be contentious. The folks who lead for God cannot be like Joab. They cannot be always eager and ready to come out swinging in terms of theological arguments in terms of arguing with people in the church about theology in terms of arguing with people outside the church right there are some people that they just have this ah this insatiable desire to argue and to fight Joab he's like Abner in the sense that they're both moved by power right they're both they both want to advance through you know it's through warfare it's through fighting and so for Joab he has He's got the right heart, in a sense. So he's aiming in the right way. He's on the right side, but he's, he's got the wrong means. And so I think for us, we need to think about this. We need to apply this to our lives. There are times when Christians, I mean, there's lots of examples of this. I mean, I think about the gay community, right? I think about the gay community and how you've got people that will hold up signs and say, God hates fags for me. And for harbor, I feel like that would be acting like Joab. I don't think that is the means that God wants us to use. I think about in the political world, like we have to be really careful. We live in a society where not everybody agrees with the Bible. where not everybody agrees with what Christians believe. And we need to recognize that we don't have any authority over people that don't adhere to the Bible. You know, and so we get into political debates about the economy, about jobs, about homelessness, about, you know, about anything, right? And there are times when we just get really angry with people. And we feel self-righteous. We feel righteous about it because we're defending God's honor, right? We're defending God's word and his standards. And I think we need to be careful that sometimes we, you know, it's like we get angry for people, with people because they're not Christians, And I think the picture that Joab is painting for us, Joab wants to fight. He turns this competition into a deadly brawl. I think that what's in us that causes us to to act like this is fear. Like we get get afraid of what we might lose if we can't impose our will on other people. And we think that, well, the only thing left for us to do is to fight. We have to fight. We have to stand up. And there are times that we stand up and articulate what we believe and we communicate what our position is and what we think God thinks about certain things, but not like this, not, not where we're like, arguing for blood, not where we are. We can make it really difficult for folks to meet the Jesus who has come to save. You want to think about when you started walking with Jesus. Wasn't it his kindness that led you to repentance? That's what Romans 2.4 says. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so, now, what is God's heart toward Joab? You know, how does God feel about the Joabs in the church? I mean, if you're a Joab, how does God feel about you? Well, I think that God, he has, he's so patient. He really is patient with us. God, I think Jesus stands before us, you know, and he says, you know, I am proud of, That you are fighting for me. I'm proud that you are seeking to advance my kingdom in the world, in the city, in the church. But that's not how I did it. And that's not how I want you to do it. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn over the fact that they get angry sometimes with people, even my enemies, and and lash out in bad ways. Blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. And Jesus would say, you know, I understand the fear. I understand it. I really do. I know what it's like to feel like if you don't lash out that something bad's going to happen in the world, something bad's going to happen in the city. And let me just say that the way that you can influence that will last forever is if you follow me. I gave my life not to defend myself, but to serve. I didn't look at the rights that I had and exploit them, but I humbled myself and acted like a servant of all so that other people could actually experience the grace and the love of God. And once they experience that grace, then you can let God speak to them. You can let God speak his word into their hearts. I think this passage, we're going to see more about this in our third point, but this passage is telling us that what the world needs is not more Joabs. What the church needs is not more Joabs. What the church needs are more people like David. And that brings us to our third point. So Abner's mad at God. uh, Joab is mad at God's enemies. David, though, we've got to remember David, um, where faith controlled his anger. If Abner's wrong and Joab is wrong, then what do we do? Um, I think first we need to listen and see, is God saying anything in this text? Okay, I I think he does. I think he does. Uh, First, if you look at verses 12 to 16, it sort of paints both armies as identically the same. Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth the son of Saul, went out. Verse 13, Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out. They both end up at the pool. One's on one side, one's on the other. Abner says to Joab, Joab says to Abner, 12 from one side, 12 from... You get the point, right? There's these parallels. There's like five or six parallels. And I think what God is saying is that both of these armies are exactly the same, meaning that they're both wrong. And one of the ways that we know that is because God, I think, declares his opinion of what's going on here in the outcome of the duel. Because 12 plus 12 ends up equaling zero. Right? 12 plus 12 equals zero. Each caught his opponent, verse 16, by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side so that they fell down together. All 24 people died. One author said this If Abner and Joab had taken a moment to contemplate this outcome, they would have realized that God had acted and sent a clear message. He was not taking sides in this battle. There are no winners if Israel goes to war with Israel. When 12 fight against 12, all 24 fall. That is God speaking in this passage. If you are mad at God and are ordering your life to express that anger toward him, you will end up with nothing. If you are mad at God's enemies and invest your life in attacking the enemies of God, you will end up with nothing. Both Joab and Abner are examples. One's in the church, one's outside the church, and they're both wrong. They both expose things in our own hearts, right? They both call us to a different way. And so what should they have done, right? What should you do with your anger? The key is relationships. The answer is relationships. This is what we saw David do just last week in the verses immediately preceding this passage, right? When David treated the supporters of Saul, do you remember that? After they anointed David king, they came to him and said, Hey, David, it was those men of Jabesh Gilead. They were the ones who rescued Saul's body and and honored him and gave him proper burial. What did David do for them? David honored them. He honored the good thing that his enemies had done. He honored them. He praised them. He loved them. He sent an olive branch to them, right? An offering of peace. But Joab went to fight. Joab went to fight so David sets the pattern. I mean, it could have been something as simple as this. Abner, you are an incredible commander. Abner, you have done amazing things. Your leadership of Saul's army has been absolutely amazing. We invite you to be reconciled. Let's bring Israel and Judah together. That seems like it would have fit in with what David just did for the folks in Jabesh Gilead. That's what Joab should have done. Joab, you know, the Joabs need to learn to honor and love the people that they disagree with. There may be a time for war, but it's not now. It's not here. In your life, you need to learn how to love and honor people that you disagree with, people that have a problem with your God, people who have a problem with Christianity, who act out, you need to learn how to, to draw near to them, how to approach them the way David did with the folks from Jabesh Gilead. It's not, it's not easy, right? It's hard. It is hard to do this. It is incredibly hard. But this is what we're called to. The passage we read from 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter two twenty to 25 says this, When you do good and suffer for it, if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called... You have been called to suffer for the good things that you do. Expect that people will mistreat you. Expect that and endure it. You've been called to this because Christ also suffered for you. Feel that. He left you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus was able to endure, was able to love and to honor those, was able to forgive them from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because he understood that they didn't know what they were doing. He understood that they were... They were fighting to hold on to control. They were fighting for things that were just empty. And Jesus wanted more for them to be set free from that than he wanted to have his own needs met. And First Peter says that he left you this example so that you would follow him in his steps. So not Abner, not Joab, but David. I mean, and David's a picture of Jesus, right? David gloriously pictures Jesus. And the first Peter passage goes on, right? It says, he leaves you an example that you should follow it. But then it says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So if you have failed, right? If you've been Abner, if you are Abner right now, if you're Joab or have been Joab, come to the greater David. Come to the Jesus who understands why you've made the decisions that you've made and has come to set you free. Jesus shows that you can trust in God, even when you're wronged. Jesus shows that when you do that, you will live forever. God crowned the suffering of Jesus with glory and honor. And when you suffer that way, when you don't give in to anger with God, but go deeper with him, and then you don't give in to anger with God's enemies, Right, but love and honor them, and you build relationships in the world. When you do those things, God crowns you with honor and glory. He fills your life with with, with more and more of an experience of Him. You understand what Jesus is, who He is. He, He lives more fully in you when you follow Him in this way. And when you fail, you go back to the tree, and you see that He died He died for you. So he washes away your sins. But then he does it so that you also might die to sin and live to righteousness. So it's our relationship with Jesus is the key. If we stay close to him, if we daily experience his love and his grace, through prayer, through his word, if we apply ourselves and seek him with all of our heart, our experience of him grows and we will be free from Joab Abner will come out of our heart and we'll be freed from these things and we will have real relationships in the church. We'll be able to be reconciled with each other. We'll be able not to get angry with each other. We'll forgive each other. We'll talk about things. We'll go deeper and in the world too. Non-Christians will be blown away by your ability to love them and understand them and by the honor that you give to them. And that'll give you opportunities to share. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it is you that we need. You have been the example and you've been our substitute. We want to experience more and more of your cross and your resurrection for us so that it would cover us when we sin, but then in us so that we would die to our anger would you help us do that? As we draw near to you every day, Jesus, would you help us to see the way that you react to people that just don't understand yet? That you would show us your grace and your patience, and as we experience your patience, that we would share just what we've experienced with others. Jesus, the folks who are here, who haven't yet trusted you, who are more like Abner, Oh, would you touch their hearts? Would you touch their hearts and help them to see that it was your life that was raised from the dead? It's your way. It's not the way of anger. It's not the way of control. It's not the way of lashing out against God, but it's, it's the way of submitting to God and trusting him that leads to eternal life. And for those of us like jo, who are like Joab, Jesus, would you confront us with our sin so that we'd confess it, experience your forgiveness, and learn to be gracious, and learn that it's your kindness that led us to repent and to come back to you, and it's your kindness that will lead others as you express that kindness through us. And we'll give you the glory. Amen.